A copy of God's Word, turn to John chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 1 through 18 and then turn back into the Old Testament. We'll read Psalm 23, a psalm that most of you, if not all of you, could probably quote. More on that in a minute. John chapter 10, beginning with verse 1, reading through verse 18, and then turning without delay to Psalm 23 and reading the six verses that are found there. John 10, beginning with verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep Follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And then in Psalm 23, the words that are familiar to all of us, it's a Psalm of David. There we read, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will abide forever. Let's pray. Our Father, as we look now into this, your word, and indeed a psalm that we are so familiar with, the danger, of course, Lord, is that we will not listen and we will not hear. 
And so we pray that you, through the eternal spirit, even now, will, will cast aside all distractions, all cares of this life, all matters that are around us, that you would cause us to hear what we've heard before, that you would cause us to see the glory of our Savior as the good shepherd of our souls. May you be merciful to us, and may you help us, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Children, as I did last week, I do now this week, as you remember, I asked you, if you were to describe for me a king, what would you say? What kind of things would you, uh, would you uh, draw as a, a verbal picture about what a king is, what he looks like, what kind of things he wears, what kind of behavior does he perform? Well, I ask you the same question about a shepherd. Perhaps as you think about a shepherd, maybe you've never really seen a modern shepherd, you've never witnessed one, but in some sense you have. For most of you children here, most of you have pets of some nature. Some of you have more than a few pets. Some of you have pets I don't want anything to do with. But in some sense, as you care for them, you're doing exactly what a shepherd does. Maybe when you think of a shepherd, you think of somebody who stands out in a field out there in the middle of the night, in the middle of the day, in the burning sun beating down, or the coldness of the air. And why are they there? Well, they're there to make sure the sheep don't get in any trouble. You make sure nothing happens to them, to protect them. Some, maybe you, you think of a man who, who goes out in front of them and, and is leading them as you play that game, perhaps you've played, follow the leader. Well, that's what sheep do. They follow the leader. Maybe you think about the clothes they wear. Not always the most flattering of clothes. They're dirty. Look a little raggedy. Uh, it's agreeable to the, to the function and the purpose of what they do, engage in every day, and that is to watch over these defenseless creatures. Maybe you think about the fact that they do more than just stand there and guide and direct, but they inspect they look at closely the condition, the physical condition of the sheep and to see if there's anything that could cause them harm, parasites of some nature, some illness that the sheep can't tell you about. But you, as a good shepherd, you, you watch over them, you care for them. Whatever it is that you're thinking, all of it I've said describes very much the good shepherd of your soul. The Lord Jesus Christ himself. All of these shepherds that I've described, these things that they do, they're all fallible. The men of the world that are shepherds today, the ones that have gone before, the men like Moses and David who were shepherds of the sheep, learned to shepherd God's people by being real shepherds, they were fallible people. They made mistakes. Not this one. Not the good shepherd of the souls with the sheep that he, as you heard from John 10, gave his life uh, to save. When you consider this morning, all of you, when you consider the Lord Jesus as the good shepherd, what, what comes to mind? Do you, do you think of him in the right way, in the right frame? Do you understand the, the biblical theme and motif that is, that is just pregnant with meaning all the way back even into the early pages of Genesis and moving all the way through the canon of the Bible? This theme of a shepherd is everywhere. And as such, the theme of sheep 
is the same. It's a little hard to have a shepherd without sheep, and it's a little difficult to be sheep without a shepherd, although the second one is easier than the first. What do you think about? And you view the Lord Jesus Christ not just as your prophet, as I've shown you already, not just as your priest, as I've shown you already, not just as your king, as I've shown you already, but as the shepherd of your soul. We like to call and refer to him as the good shepherd, not just the shepherd. Do you see him that way? Do you see Christ as your good shepherd when the sun is shining and the roses are blooming? Of course we do. How about when it's not? How about when times are hard? Dark providences settle into your days, and we've all had them. Do you still call him the good shepherd of the sheep? Your good shepherd? Do you see him as the one leading and guiding you all of your days? Do you trust his direction, his care? Do you take advantage of the shepherd's provision, the good shepherd's provision for you? And do you stand then in awe of what he has provided? Or do you turn your nose up at the food he gives the church his people? Are you thankful to him? They didn't just leave you out there in the field to fend for yourself. No problem. You'll be okay as I go do something else today. No, no, he constantly watches over you so that you might not wander aimlessly through this life. Do you know something of the love of this shepherd? A love that I know sometimes you may wonder about. Especially when you're in the valley of the shadow of death. And you think, where's the love? It's there. He gives it, he shows it, he demonstrates it. That love that drove him to the cross. The good shepherd of the sheep who lays down his life for his sheep. The context of this psalm may strike you, it may come to you as, as, well, maybe startle you. David isn't writing this psalm when the skies are blue. He writes it in the face of difficulty and opposition. David often was opposed. David was often oppressed by his own countrymen. David was threatened by his own son. David was threatened and picked on by his own wife. David was a man after God's own heart. And you don't have to go too far away from Psalm 23 to see some of the agony and difficulties that David was experiencing, even backing up one psalm, not a chapter. There's no chapters in the psalms. You learn something new today. One psalm back in Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You ever felt that way? I have. Maybe you're the super spiritual saint that's never experienced this, then you're more spiritual than David, because here's David says it. Why have you forsaken me? The opposition, the oppression, the persecution, all the issues that are facing him, he experiences. One psalm later, 
He writes the psalm that we all know and love and hold in high esteem, and maybe we're so familiar with it, it's lost its luster. It's lost the glory. Because this psalm paints for us the glory of Christ as the good shepherd of the souls of his redeemed people. It is an Exodus song. You might think, where are you getting that from? Because it paints for us in picture form the very exodus of God's people from Egypt right into the promised land. This is what he did, didn't he? The God of heaven, did he not shepherd his people through a shepherd, a mediator, Moses, who brought them out of Egypt? He brought them across the wilderness, that three-month journey there where he fed them by the still waters. He brought them across the Red Sea calming the waters that they might be rescued safely and go across? Did he not bring them to that place where they would dwell in his house forever, the place of Mount Sinai where he would worship, they would worship God on that mountain in Exodus 19? Did he not continue to stay with them, walk with them until they reached that promised rest pictured for us in the promised land? All of it's here in Psalm 23. It's all here. It's an Exodus song. Maybe you're thinking, I never knew that. Well, it's okay. I didn't know that until seminary, so don't fret. By passing comment by a professor. Oh, you're preaching Psalm 23. That's an Exodus Psalm. That's all he said. And he kept going. I was like, what? <laughs> Went back and looked at it. I'm like, he's right. It's designed then to show us the glory of the good shepherd of the sheep. And so we must see it. We must hear this sermon. And it's a new, I've preached Psalm 23 here before, but this is not the same sermon. I can assure you of that. So I wasn't here that late last night working on a new sermon because it's the same one. It's new. Because the emphasis is different. I want to show you this morning. I want to show you the glory of Christ as displayed in his shepherding care for your soul. I want to show you the glory of Christ as displayed in his shepherding care for your soul. Now, before you start getting all excited and thinking, well, this is going to be one of those syrupy sermons. It's not that. There are things in here that are very encouraging, and there are things here that you will be pressed about. But they're here, given to you by the shepherd of your soul. The question is, are we going to see his glory by faith this morning? And are we going to hear his voice as he speaks plainly? Two points as we consider this 23rd Psalm. First, we're going to consider the Lord your shepherd. And then we are going to consider the Lord your shepherd's work. The Lord your shepherd. And the Lord your shepherd's work. What is it he's doing to care for your soul? What is he doing right now, this minute, in fact, this minute, to care for your soul? Let's first consider the Lord your shepherd. The statement is one that can be cited or re, uh, quoted by, I would argue, probably the vast majority of people on the planet that, it, that can read. The Lord is my shepherd. You hear these at secular funerals, this, these very words. You hear them quoted often in various circumstances. But have we ever given the time necessary to think carefully through the number of implications that come in that simple expression. 
Well, if you haven't, you're going to in a minute. In fact, you're going to right now, I hope. First notice that when he says the Lord is my shepherd, he says that he is. You might think, well, gee, that wasn't too profound. No, no, it is, isn't it? He's not was your shepherd and now long, no longer is. He is now your shepherd. That is to say that he is living and active. He is daily, often with you, present with you. He is not the dead Savior in the ground, of which would be no Savior, no shepherd. He is very much alive. David here invokes the covenant name and It's hard not to then combine this with the statements that Jesus makes in John chapter 10 to see the fulfillment of Psalm 23 rooted in the living Lord and Savior Jesus Christ when he says in John 10, I am, not is or was, will be, I am the good shepherd. In John's gospel, the ego a me, the Greek expression, I am, has direct bearing, reference in fact, to God himself, to the triune God, to deity, the God that spoke to Moses, the shepherd, on Mount Horeb in Exodus 3, the one who spoke to Joshua right before he took on the battles that he ensued, that he encountered. David says that he is. He is the ever-present shepherd of your soul. That means wherever you are, wherever you live, whatever circumstance you find yourself, whatever matter is bothering you, troubling you, whether known or unknown, he is your shepherd, present with you now and forever. It will never end. He is my shepherd. Second, David says that he is indeed the eternal God. Specifically, the shepherd is indeed, as I've said, got a little ahead of myself, the Lord Jesus Christ. Third, David says that he, that is David, the king, says that he belongs to him. You read through the psalm itself and you notice the number of personal pronouns that that is at least translated for us from the Hebrew into into the English. Just to give you a catalog, just quickly, I don't expect you to write these things down if you want to try to keep up. I'm going to do this very quickly, but in verse 1, you have my and I. In verse 2, me twice. 23, 3, my and me. 23, 4, I and me. 23, 5, me and my. 23, 6, me, my and I. What's the point? The point is it's personal to him. It matters to David that the Lord, the King of glory, the prophet, priest, and king, the eternal God, is my shepherd. He is the one who cares for my soul. All of this reminds us that David viewed this shepherd as his. It's ownership, possession. The Lord of glory is his. Now, how did that happen, of course? For the unregenerate, this cannot be said. I don't care if you quote it. 
I've heard it at funerals. But there's absolutely no confidence whatsoever that the person that just went into the grave knew the Lord as shepherd or not. No confidence whatsoever. I've seen, I've witnessed it. I had a, a week, my wife can remember, it was the, the most bizarre week and probably well, one of the most bizarre weeks of our lives in which my grandfather left this earth on a very early Tuesday morning around 1 o'clock and 12 hours after my wife's grandfather passed away. In the same week, the difference was that we as we have no confidence that her grandfather knew the Lord. None. We leave that with him, but we don't have any confidence in that. But with my grandfather, there was no question, insofar as a man can know, his love for the Lord. But you hear the same things. The Lord is my shepherd. You hear it at the funeral. You hear it at the, at the service. You see, my friends, for the unregenerate, those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, maybe that's you. You can't say this. He's not your shepherd. No, no, he's something but much different. He is your judge. And he will sit in judgment over you for how you treated him and rejected the hope of the gospel on that day on February 4th, 2024, when a minister of the gospel stood in this place and pleaded with you, your soul as this shepherd would plead with your soul that you might not turn away from him and stand under condemnation for all of eternity. No, only the regenerates, only those who have acknowledged Jesus Christ as Lord, only those who have seen their sin and recognized their great need of this shepherd who say to them, say out loud, even as that tax collector said, be merciful to me, the sinner, can say with absolute certainty, without question, as sure as you're breathing air right now, the Lord, the King of glory, the eternal God, Jesus Christ is indeed my shepherd. Maybe you're wondering, well, well, maybe you're one of those people that, you know, get nervous at the slightest bit of question. You know, maybe, maybe this assurance of salvation is something you wrestle with, and I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if there's one or two in this room that struggle with that. I did for years. How do you know? Do you hear his voice? My sheep hear my voice, John 10. They hear me. What do they hear? First, what do they hear? They hear the call of the gospel. Their ears are opened. I don't pray that prayer before the sermon just for something to do. I want the Spirit of God to open your ears because for all I know, there's some in this room that don't know Christ. I want you to hear. The only hope you've got is to hear this voice. Have you heard it? Have you heard his call? Repent and believe the gospel. Trust me. Acknowledge your need of me, and you will be saved. It's that simple. Don't listen. Shut your ears. Walk out of this room today. Walk out into that world. Get hit by a bus, and this sermon will remind you for eternity of the foolish decision you just made. Do you hear him? So much the better do you continue to hear his voice as he speaks. 
you say he's yours, then you hear him. And you continue to hear him as he speaks to you. Where does he do that? Well, you're not going to hear an audible voice, per se. Yeah, that wasn't redundant. Had to check. But you do. Every time you open your Bible and you read, whether it's in 1 Chronicles or 1 John, you're hearing the voice of Christ. Every time you sit in this room, insofar as the sermon is faithful to the word of God, you are hearing the living voice of the good shepherd of the sheep. Why? For you. Not because he wants to bore you to tears. Not because he wants you to do something on Sunday morning and said what you might like to be doing. No, no. He calls you in here that you might hear him. And I guarantee you that if you knew that this Savior was going to appear out of the sky and stand at this pulpit on Sunday, you would be in this room. Some of you are not here, and I know I'm not preaching to them, and they're not here. Maybe they're watching on live stream. I don't know. They're not hearing his voice. Maybe they're not interested in hearing their, his voice. Then they need to check and see whether or not they can really say, the Lord is my shepherd. Do you continue hearing it? That is to say, you hear and then you do what this good shepherd says, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, because he knows where he's going. He's leading. You are not. Only the ones who have bowed the knee to Christ can say, the Lord is present with me now. He is the God of heaven. He is my shepherd. Notice also the precision of the statement. So easy to miss these things. You know, you think you read, you think you know what the verse says, and then you go back later and you go, boy, I've just missed a lot. David is precise. Remember, he's a king. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. He does not add anything. He doesn't take anything away. It's not the idols of this life that he looks to for guidance and direction. He looks to the living and true God. You see, my friends, there are many things competing for your attention in this world. And whether you know it or not, parents especially, but all of you should hear this and you need to heed this. You are being shepherded by something. None of you are moving through this world without influence on you. Maybe it's a friend, family member. God forbid it's social media. There's a plethora of things competing to lead and direct and guide you, and most of it is guiding you and leading you in the wrong way. You can't sit back and just simply let be and just sit in a vacuum and think that you, your children, parents, are not being catechized. If you're not doing it, the world is. If you're not shepherding your children, the world is. And frankly, brothers and sisters, some of you, and I say this with all the love in my heart, who keep your children from worship on the Lord's Day in both services, you're not shepherding your children well. How dare you keep your, your children 
from the shepherd of the sheep to come where the oracles of God are given, where the Lord Jesus Christ is preached and proclaimed. Why would you do that? You are shepherding them in the wrong direction. David says in precision, there's only one shepherd for my soul, and that is not the things of this world. It is not the idols of this place. It is not the, my advisors and counselors in my court. It is God himself, and that is the one I will hear, and it is to him that I will listen and obey. You know, parents, you have a great responsibility because you too are shepherds in your home, To bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You took a vow to this effect. As I was thinking about this, this very point in the sermon, I know how it sounds, and I don't mean it to be harsh. I mean it because I'm concerned. Because I look across this room and I see many children here, but I don't see them here at night either. And I thought about the gravity of such a dereliction. You're going to answer for this. Is the world shepherding your home? Is that TV? I'm not against TV. I have a TV. Is it shepherding your children? The things on the computer, the internet, what kind of friends do they have? It must be this shepherd. It must be Christ. You need to put him in front of them all the time, as much as you can. David is precise about it. Parents, all of us, what things have been leading you in your life? What things have caused you to go the wrong direction? Maybe even just a little bit. What have allowed your mind to be cluttered with that has clouded your view of the glory of Christ as the good shepherd of the sheep? You know, the world, that's what they want to do. They don't want your mind on Christ. They don't want you thinking about Christ. The enemy of your soul doesn't want you thinking about him. He's going to cloud your mind with everything so that you don't see the glory of the good shepherd that loves your soul. He loves your soul. And he gives to the church, he gives to you these things that you might not be lost. Why? Because if he's the shepherd, what's that make you? I know you think you're the shepherd too. Some behave that way in the church. No, no, you're sheep. So am I, by the way. I had this weird role of under-shepherd and sheep at the same time. It's very confusing. You're sheep. What are sheep like? Well, in a word, they're dumb. Now, I'm probably overstating it just slightly to make my point. They're defenseless creatures. They don't run very fast. They can't do a whole lot when attacked. They can lay down and make a noise or two or more than two. When the Bible calls you and me sheep, it's not exactly the most flattering term. 
that God could have used, but it describes us perfectly. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us have gone to our own way. Why do you need a shepherd? Because you're a sheep. Because left to yourself, you're going to go right where you want. You're going to jump over that fence because the, the pasture, that's greener over there. I'm going to go that way. Oh, no, wait, I'm going to go over here. The food's better there. You get over there and it's poison. Why do you need a shepherd? Because you and I are prone to wander. Now, look, we sing this in our hymn book, 429. Look it up. Not now. Look it up later. Probably should have sung that, used it anyway. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to lead the God I love. You don't think your Father in Heaven knew this long before He ever made us? Those sinful people are going to be like a bunch of dumb sheep wandering around all over the place. If I don't give them a shepherd, they're going to be lost forever. I'll make sure they're not. I'm going to give him my son. Now I'm going to guide him. Remember how he felt about the people that were hopeless and helpless in his day. He looked out over them and he, and he wept with tears and it was in grief. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. What happens to sheep without a shepherd? Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. You and I are prone to wandering all over the place. And second, it's because you and I are in danger. You and I are in danger. No, no one's aiming a gun at my head right now. Not now. And I'm still in danger, and so are you by an enemy greater than all the military forces of the entire planet. He who roams around like a prowling lot, like a lion, just looking for someone. He can hurt just a little, uh-uh, devour, destroy, ruin. It's not surprising that David would pen these words, given the fact that he was a shepherd, and you know the story of his defending his sheep, his father's sheep, against the enemies of the sheep. You and I are in danger. One of the functions of a shepherd, children, perhaps you thought of this when you were asked, is to protect the sheep against these dangers, against the efforts of the evil one, against his devices and schemes. That enemy of your soul who will seek to destroy you, Peter says it as much in 1 Peter 5. And as such, then therefore, Jesus gives to his church, he gives to them under shepherds. Why? One of my functions as your pastor and one of the functions of the elders of this church is to protect you. And you might not like that very much. When they say to you things that are designed to protect your soul, you need to listen. could be attacked from the enemy without, from not only him, the enemy, capital E, but also false teachers who might seek to lead you astray. Hey, come over here. It's so much better over here. It's like a breath of fresh air. Okay. I could list all of the teachers that I would warn you about from this pulpit. We'd be here a while. 
Joel Osteen. Yes, I'll name them. I'm not afraid of this. Beth Moore. It's another crazy woman. I forgot. She looks crazy. Anyway. Joyce Meyer. Kenneth Copeland. Fred Price. I mean, I can go on and on. Don't you listen to those people. I'm your pastor. I love you. You listen to them, it's going to be poison to your soul. I guarantee it. Oh, but so many people read their books, so. So many people go to their conferences, so. It's still wrong. It's poison. But what about within? You and me. I mean, I get, if I didn't have Satan as a problem, I'd have me as a problem. I'm still there. You know what they say, I've looked and seen the enemy, and the enemy's Me. Sometimes we are our own worst enemy. We sin daily in thought, word, and deed. Our hearts are desperately wicked. Jeremiah says, who can understand it? The answer is nobody. Who can? Due to the indwelling nature of sin and the proneness, that's why we are prone to wander. That's why we, we glom onto certain things. That's why we resist the under-shepherds of the church. That's why we resist the good shepherd of the church. Our hearts are prone to these things, the world, the flesh, the devil. Do you have any wonder now why you need a shepherd? The statement is glorious. The Lord is my shepherd. To say nothing more about him would be enough to carry me, and it should carry you, right into glory. Because it will. Because he's the infallible, faithful, never-changing shepherd of the souls of the people he loves. But he's the shepherd we must follow. Nothing else. No one else. But what does he do? To validate or to prove or to demonstrate this care, this love? It's nice to say... I love my sheep. It's a whole other thing to demonstrate it. When the psalm gives it to us, very much in summary fashion, and that's how I'm approaching it. The Lord your shepherd's work, well, the, the function of a shepherd. Let's just think, think through that just carefully and quickly. What does this good shepherd do for his people? What is the typical function of a shepherd? Well, he protects. We've already noted that, but how does he do that precisely? I think we would all agree that the Lord Jesus Christ protects his church. I don't think anyone in this room would question that truth. Well, okay, how? I don't see armed guards standing back there keeping the bad guy out. I don't see an iron dome over at Evansville ready to launch missiles if the bad guys try to bomb us or even over the church. Well, he gives to his church under shepherds. And that's what he does. He is pleased to use weak and fallible men to guide his church, and when they get out of line, they, they hear about it. And, but that's one of the ways he protects you. We know the weightiness of that. Who is sufficient for that? I wonder that often. 
And then there's the spirit he gives also to help them do just that. Why? Because he loves you. That's why. He didn't leave you alone. He protects. He feeds. Sheep are particular animals. They won't eat just anything. Put a can down in front of a goat and see what happens. Not stupid goats. Look, I don't know much about animals, okay, but I know enough to know that they're different. And the sheep are the elect of God. They hear the voice of Christ. The goats, they don't care about whatever. Lost for eternity. Sheep are particular animals. The good shepherd of your soul, he feeds you. What's he feed you? Children, what does the good shepherd feed you? His word. It's simple. Nothing flashy about providence. No bands up here, no fireworks, no whatever they call that thing with the light dancing off it. No fog machines. This right here. That's all you need. He feeds you the word of God. Now, if the good shepherd of your soul is smart enough to know that that's all you need, then why resist it? How does he do that? Well, he does it specifically through the preaching of the word of God. Many of you nourish your bodies two, three, four, five, six times a day. I'm not making any judgments. But man does not live only on bread alone. The good shepherd of the sheep said, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What does he primarily feed your soul? Right here. Right now. Every Lord's Day. Morning and evening. If Jesus were going to be here at 6 o'clock, those of you who do not come, and I really do not understand why, would you be here? He feeds your soul. His word. Through weak men and through fallible men. Again, who's sufficient for these things? He feeds you through the word of God preached and proclaimed every Lord's day. What is preventing you from being here? Maybe it's because the first line of the psalm you cannot say. The Lord isn't my shepherd. The football game is, though. Or social media, the movie I'm going to go home and watch because I have a right to kick back my feet on the lounge chair tonight and rest. Because the Lord didn't know that when he gave you the Lord's day. He might feed your soul through the word of God because he knows that it's through this vehicle, this medium, this the inspired word that's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. He will use it to nourish your soul. Why? That you might reach verse 6 of the psalm. Imagine a Christian life without the word of God. There wouldn't be one. 
And so the shepherd gives to you his word. He feeds you. He gives you good things. That's the end of the first verse. I know you're thinking, man, he's only on the first verse. We're never going home. It's speeding up, I promise. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not lack any good thing is probably how it could be rendered. Hmm. Well, if he's my shepherd, then everything he gives to me must be good because he's the infallible shepherd, inerrant. He can't make mistakes. So whatever I'm going through right now, it must be good for my soul. I may not be able to explain it. David certainly couldn't explain it. You can't explain it. I'm sorry, you can come to me and ask me to explain it. I'm just going to look at you with that look on my face go, I don't know, but I know it's good for you. It's conforming you more and more into the image of the good shepherd of the sheep. I shall not lack any good thing. The question is, do we trust that and believe it? Yeah, but pastor, you don't understand what I'm going. Yes, I do. I probably know more about what's going on in your life than you even know. Some in this room that are struggling with debilitating disease, how do you call that good? I, can't, I, I don't know. From my point of view, it's not. I'm not God. I'm not the good shepherd of the sheep. I have no idea the ramifications that will fall out from this event. He does. He knows exactly where he's leading. I am following. Marital strife. How's that good? Again, I don't know. I know the good shepherd wants to help. I know the good shepherd wants to get involved. He wants to work with you, deal with it. Relationship issues within families. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. And you think, how is any of that good? I don't know. I can't answer that question, but I do know. It says it right here. The Lord is my shepherd. That means I'm following him. And wherever he takes me, it's good. Whatever he gives me is too. For every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father in heaven. Fourth, not only does he protect and feed and give good things, he cares deeply for your well-being. It's highlighted here right in the psalm. In his very poetical language, picturesque language, there's a progression, in fact, is given in these verses, beginning in verses, verse 2 and leading in through verse 3. Note, he first, he makes you lie down. Rest. A picture of rest and peace, a picture of security and safety. Come what may in your life, you can rest comfortably in the presence of the Good Shepherd. You have no reason to fear what the world will do to you. What can they do? An earthly shepherd might lose the battle against the lion, the tigers, and the bears. For those of you who've seen The Wizard of Oz, except one person in this room. That was a joke, by the way. Well, the second part wasn't a joke. It's true. You might lose. I might lose. He can't lose. One little word will fell the enemy of the souls of his people. One word. He who created the universe in the space of six days by the word of his power. You think a bear is going to bother him? You think he's really worried? We saw that in his kingly office in Psalm 2. But notice he makes you do it. Why? Because your nature is the opposite of this. So is mine. You see, he knows what you need. 
And he gives to you that security and peace that you need for your soul to be refreshed and to be comforted and to understand that his care and his love for you is real and deep. And he gives it again. One of the ways pictured right here, right now, the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day, a picture of that fulfillment of being made late to lay down in the safety and security of the God of heaven for all eternity. What, do you think sin's going to somehow get through the gates of heaven or something? Satan's going to jump the wall and get in there and muck it up. Hardly. No. Right now, he should be giving you a sense of that security and peace. Maybe your conscience is troubled by certain things. Good, that's fine. But even that's good. Second, he leads you beside still waters. You know, sheep are generally nervous creatures, at least the ones I've seen. Let's say I've seen many. So this is just based on what I read. Philip Keller, a shepherd, looks at the 23rd Psalm. Great book. Get it. Read it. Devour it. He said as much. If you were to humanize them, you would describe them as worriers, fretting all the time, uptight, easily, easily startled, skittish even. I have a skittish cat. Some of you know, make one little noise and poof, off she goes under the bed. This shepherd leads us beside still waters. Nervous sheep will not eat, nor will they drink when they're upset. They will not attempt to drink from a water that is rushing along for fear they could die. It has to be calm. And still, the good shepherd cares to give, you wa- give water to you. He gives a peaceful stream of refreshment to you in a crazy, sin-filled world. You think this world's not crazy? Then you're not living in it. And you're a Christian making it worse because you see with clarity, at least as clear as you're able, just how nuts this world has gone because of sin. You're a pilgrim. Your good shepherd knows that. He knows that you need some still waters in your lives every now and then. How about every seven days? In which he calls you out from the normal thing that you do all week long. The chaos and the rushing and the, and the hurrying and the busyness and, the, and all that stuff. And he puts you in here that you might find peace and rest, the calming aspect of His presence and worship. Consider the image of the people of God as they left Exodus, or left Egypt in the Exodus, and they approached in Genesis, Exodus 14, and they, they approached that Red Sea, and there they are, bottlenecked. They are trapped. They are hemmed in in every side. And what is coming after them, the mighty forces, probably the most, uh, the most powerful army on the planet at the time, is descending down upon them to destroy them. And what is in front of them? The rushing waves and crashing waters of the Red Sea. Doom. Mm-mm. The good shepherd of the sheep 
brings them across, as it were, still waters, doesn't he? Really, no water on the left and on the right, but dry ground under their feet that they might reach safety apart from the efforts of the world to kill them. Each Lord's Day, the, Lord, the Good Shepherd calls his people out of the world to a place of peace. At least it should be. He took a vow to maintain the peace of the church. The world indeed is out of control, but one day in seven, your Lord and Good Shepherd leads you to the place of worship where you find peace for your soul. How's your soul this morning? You have peace? Rushing moms and dads, your children from every event, everything under the sun during the week? Fine. How's your soul? Is it peaceful, torn up, churned up, tumultuous, busy, busy, busy? It's a day of rest. It's a day of peace. Your shepherd gives it to you. You take advantage of it. Third, he restores your soul. Not once. He didn't just save you. Go about his merry way. He restores your soul. He he does it daily. It is often. In Psalm 19 and verse 7, the very language is used there to, to emphasize that it is the word of God itself that restores the souls of his sheep. But you must listen. I must listen. You must hear. I must hear. You must be where the good shepherd speaks. How is your soul? Is it weary? Then you need to hear him in the preaching of his word. Is it languishing? Is it troubled by many things? Then come and enjoy the restoration that comes when the word of God is preached on the Lord's day. Why stay home? Why refuse to be restored? Your body is not the only thing that gets tired. So does your soul. You know, I suspect the soul is the most neglected part of our existence. Oh, we'll do anything for our bodies. Vitamins, go to the dentist, Go to the dentist. I know I should go to the dentist. Okay. Doctors. Deuce plus. Balance of nature. Vitamins all over the place. Oh, we'll do anything to take care of our bodies so we don't have any pain. How's our soul? How's your soul? My friend that died last year, and well, anyway... He would write that often in a letter, handwritten letter, by the way. People still do that. He would ask, how's your soul? How's yours? Well, you don't understand. I do understand that you're not taking advantage of the things that will help your soul. Fourth, he makes you lie down. He leads you beside still waters. He restores your soul. He leads Notice how it starts and ends in just that way in these two verses. He leads. He's leading. He is the good shepherd that leads the sheep of his pasture. And I want to tell you, I confess that sometimes I feel like I'm pushing you. 
to follow Christ. I suspect my elders feel the same way sometimes. Maybe you as parents in the home, you feel the same way too. You're not really leading. You're doing a lot of pushing. Jesus leads. He's out in front. As he was making his way to Jerusalem there with the disciples as he's walking along that road, guess where he was? He wasn't in the back. He wasn't alongside. He was in front. Why? Which was unusual for a rabbi of those days. Why was he out front? Because he knew what he was, he was eager to go do, what the good shepherd needed to do to lay down his life for his people. He leads. I'm not leading. He's leading. If you say he is your shepherd, then you follow him wherever you go. The implications, of course, is that you're not in charge, and neither am I. Sometimes he leads us to those places we prefer he not lead. Thank you very much. I'd rather not go there. Go read Pilgrim's Progress. I finally got through part of it anyway to avoid the threat of my former pastor. He said, I'm going to hell if I don't read Pilgrim's Progress. It was a joke. He wasn't unorthodox. Look what he does. This promise is his constant care. Note note the darkness of verses 4 and 5. You get the darknesses of, of, well, dark providences, hardship, difficulties. You live in a fallen world. You've got the, the difficulties of opposition, of enemies, maybe in your own home, maybe your wife or husband. The shepherd abandons you in those times, of course, because that's, he's only good, interested in the good thing. No. Nope. What does he say? Even though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Great. Why? Because he's tough. David the warrior. Nope. You. Who's the you? The good shepherd. He's with me. He's in the valley with me. Life's dark providence can be very hard. Not even the sheep of the good shepherd are immune to the hardships of this life. Sickness, death, disease, financial stress, relationships broken, wayward children, lost family members and friends. I could go on and on and on. All of them are directed by the good shepherd who's with you through it. Even through life's darkest providence, death itself. Notice how David puts it here. The wording is very important. It's the valley, not of death, but the valley of the shadow of death. Now look, I can look across this room and I see shadows all over the place and not one of them scare me. But some of them are shadows of some very large men in this room and you might. A shadow cannot hurt you. For the believer who says, the Lord is my shepherd, death is just a shadow. There's no threat. So says Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. Where is the sting of death? Where is the, where is the, 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 the worry that comes from it? 
Well, it doesn't come because the Good Shepherd is with you. Constant care, constant companionship, constant presence. There he is, this care in the valley, pictured by those visible items that can be seen by the sheep. What comfort it must bring to know that the shepherd is on constant watch over his sheep in good times, in the green pastures, in the peace and security, as well as in the dark providences of this valley of the shadow of death, all of it, there is care. The rod and the staff. You know what those are. One to beat off the enemies and the other one to guide and direct the sheep. But, you know, they're visible. I don't have one, and I'm not going to get one. I don't need them. I've got the visible things. One of them I've already mentioned is the very Word of God itself, but the other one is right here. It's right there. It's visible. It's a sensible sign given to you by the Good Shepherd to comfort your soul that you might not wander into darkness. You touch it, you taste it, you smell it, you see it. It's a gift from the Good Shepherd. Well, I don't like that gift. I mean, it could have been something else. Oh, I see. No, this is the gift He gave you. Visible signs to comfort us, to help us, to guarantee to us the promised hope and the presence of your Shepherd, not just now, but for all of eternity. Surely goodness and mercy, he says. It's translated, we'll pursue you all your days. Literally, it's we'll follow. Or, I'm sorry, I said it backwards. I just blew my own thunder. <laughs> Literally, it says, these things, surely goodness and mercy will pursue you all of your days. Not follow. Follow's passive. No, no, you're a good shepherd. He's not letting you go. You wander off the reservation, he's coming after you. He leaves the 99 and goes after the one. His goodness, his mercy, his love, his faith, and all of it's driving this shepherd to ensure what? Just what David says, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He has the, the idea of the temple or the tabernacle, but the idea in fulfillment is the glorious new heavens and the new earth. Why does the shepherd do all of this for you to ensure your safe arrival in the new heavens and the new earth where he will continue to shepherd you for all eternity? This is your Savior. This is the one who loves his people, shepherds them. The glory of Christ is the good shepherd of the souls of men. Do you see it? Do you know something of it by faith today? Do you by faith know this shepherd and our comforted by his continual care, leading you, feeding you, guiding you, to bring you to the glorious hope in end, to see him. Wouldn't that be something if he came right in the middle of the Lord's Day worship service? Be unfair to some people in the world, I guess. Unfair. Common as this psalm may be, 
to you and to me, uncommon is the Savior of souls, the souls of men. Uncommon is the good shepherd of the sheep. Do you behold the glory of Christ as good shepherd? Amen. Our Father, we thank you for your word, and boy, we, th- we are so thankful that you did not leave us to ourselves. Where would we be even today? We thank you that you've given us a shepherd that cannot err, is infallible and perfect and all-wise, Knows, right what he's, knows what he's doing and where he's leading. May we just simply follow him. May you help us. May you be gracious. May your goodness and mercy pursue us all of our days until that glorious day when we see him as he is, our shepherd, our savior, our Lord. In his name we pray, amen.